Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I've mentioned before that this current situation, not only in the United States of America, but in the free world, so-called, in the Western world, in former Christendom, and what have you, that regardless how bad things seem in many respects, and truly are in many respects, still in all, I think that we should view this, of all things, as a prelude, as a calm before the storm. I know that sounds incredible, but I'm not referring to this being a prelude to a more intense pandemic from mutation of coronavirus, COVID-19. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to this being a prelude of coming attractions of this being the calm before the storm. It's fascinating to me, hardly surprising, but fascinating nonetheless, that whereas in recent history in the United States of America and peripherally in Europe and UK and so forth, those who are deemed to be conservative, and it is a very nebulous (laughs) term, but those who are typecast or who call themselves conservatives, what have you, are typically painted with a very big brush that they are hawks, that they are warmongers, infamously the case of the Daisy television advertisement that Lyndon Baines Johnson had run. It only showed one time. It was used one time. And lo and behold, it destroyed the candidacy of Barry Goldwater. It painted Barry Goldwater as this warmonger who was going to start World War III with nuclear holocaust. And vast multitudes of people just sopped that up and responded in a Pavlovian way, you could say. But just exactly as they were expected to, as it was intended. But fascinatingly enough, even though Republicans and or so-called conservative independents and what have you, are routinely made out to be warmongers. Whereas, of course, the socialists, the leftists, whether they call themselves Democrats or whatever they call themselves, are, of course, the party of peace, of love, of tolerance, and all of these things. But if you look around the world, the free world, so-called, 
and you zero in in particular on the United States of America, you find that those political leaders that are being nothing short of petty dictators that are usurping powers that in the case of the United States of America are unconstitutional in order to command and control the civilian populace, these leaders are overwhelmingly, that's right, of the Democrat Party of Peace and love and tolerance, the doves, of course. It's fascinating because what you're seeing is their true colors. This is not, again, by any means surprising. This has been shown to be the case forever and a day, not just in the United States of America, but in the UK, in Europe, and so forth. But it should be something that the citizenry pays attention to. And it is entirely fitting and proper that we have this major election, which is so near and approaching. As far as prelude of coming attractions, calm before the storm, I'm referring again to much more challenging things. As bad as things are now, and to a great extent, due to the efforts of these power mongers, which is what they are. As bad as they are, they're going to get worse in the future. I don't base that on what anybody else says. On anything I've read and heard and so forth. No. Other than what I've read in the Bible, of all things. But, The prelude of coming attractions is the matter of what's going to take place in the near future. I'm not talking about six months out or something like that as far as near future. I don't have the precise timing on this, but I do know what things are going to have to take place before the ultimate step into the worst times that the world has ever known. But in any case, near term, whether that is a year, five years, ten years, I do not believe it's beyond that. And in fact, I would, if I were (laughs) required to give a time, I would say nine years. But that's just me. But... I'll come back to this if time allows. Moving on. In the previous program, I mentioned a number of terrible murders that have been committed comparatively recently. 
One of them was the murder of Dr. Beth Potter and her husband, Robin Carr or Care or Carrie. You notice they have different last names, Potter and Carrie Carr. It's because they're, you know, enlightened people, okay, of the feminist, leftist, socialist persuasion in which women do not take the name of their husband when they marry. Now, for a very long time in the United States of America, so in other words, in a just a blink of time for human history, let alone for true history. But women, it was a tradition in many parts of this country that women would take their husband's last name, but they would use their maiden name in the place of their middle name. This was very common. It wasn't anything hyphenated, any nonsense like that. It was just that they would retain their maiden name. They would move it up if they had three names or if they had four names. If they only had two names, they didn't have to move it around. But they would retain their last name in a slightly more prominent position as their middle name. Not that they would be known by that, per se. But this matter of not taking the husband's name. Now, this is very common in certain professions. In entertainment industry. Whether it happens to be movies and films, call them what you will, or whether it happens to be television, or whether it happens to be the music industry and so forth. Celebrities, they get to be known by one name, And they keep that name. And, of course, most of them are of such a persuasion that that's what they would do in any case. But this couple, who were very accomplished, well-to-do, and extremely permissive parents. Now, ironically, interestingly enough, this couple had three children. They are survived by three children in their teens and 20s, including their horrible 18-year-old daughter who should be viewed at the very least as an accessory after the fact. But (laughs) 18-year-old daughter, I do believe, the girlfriend of the murderer. But these people, very permissive. How can I know that they were very permissive? But again, odd that they had three children. Normally, people of this persuasion, they prefer to have two children or one child or just to adopt or what have you. But had three children. How do I know how permissive they were? Well, They had moved this black young man into their home. They had allowed him to move into their home and shack up with their teenage daughter 
in their home under their noses. That was agreeable to them. That was permissible to them. This is a permissive, permissive couple. So you would think that given this extreme permissiveness, this leftist mentality and this extreme permissiveness, and you could say generosity, they gave him room and board and the use, the sexual use of their daughter. But no, that was not generous enough. Not for him, not for their daughter. No. But they then made a choice due to, triggered by, this matter of social distancing pertaining to the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. They moved their daughter and the 18-year-old black man out of their house. Why? Because they refused the daughter, the teenage daughter, and the teenage black man who was shacking up with her, they refused to follow social distancing rules. Well, (laughs) what's so big about that? Just this, that the mother, Dr. Potter, her supervisor at the University of Wisconsin Hospital and Clinic stated that medication that she was taking put her at greater risk of infection and she needed social distancing. So these parents, these extremely permissive parents of this incredibly, not just foolish, worse than that, teenage daughter, they moved their daughter and this black young man whom they were allowing to live with her under their roof, they moved them into a rental home. They rented a house for them. Oh, how terrible, how horrible. Again, extremely permissive and leftist and extremely generous towards them. But the daughter insisted, you don't care about me. You don't talk to me, and so on and so forth. And overheard at school, not just in private, in their bedroom or in private, on the way to school, from school, what have you, but actually at school in class. In a ceramics class, she was heard telling him, the murderer, that her parents had bands of money and that they were rich. This should make her an accessory before the fact. Because she was directly involved in this. She may not, perhaps, did not know 
that he and his buddy were going to slaughter her parents. I say may not have. Now, even after they were moved out, Kari Sanford, the young murderer, and his buddy, Elijah LaRue, would have had access to keys for the house. The daughter had them, and he could have had a set made, but he didn't need to. The daughter had them. He could just walk in to the house. So could engage in home invasion without having to break down a door, break a window, or anything else. Just walk in. And that's obviously what took place. But these two 18-year-old black young men, Kari Sanford, Elijah LaRue, they committed this home invasion, kidnapped Dr. Beth Potter and her husband Robin Carr or Care or Carrie, and took them in their bed clothing, the father in underwear, the mother in pajamas. No socks, no shoes. Took them out, took them to this arboretum and assassinated them, shot them in the backs of the head. The daughter, the dear, dear daughter, she told police that she was with Kari Sanford the night of the murders and that neither one of them had left their rental home, which makes her an accessory after the fact. But again, she was involved before the fact. It might seem, oh, terribly, terribly severe to prosecute this poor teenage girl following these monstrous murders of her parents. But she played a role in those murders. She sided with the murderers, the destroyers, and she should be prosecuted. Rest assured, she won't be. But what a cautionary tale. These wonderfully permissive leftist parents What this reminds me of so vividly is what you see in every single place that socialism has taken over and committed monstrous mass murder on an enormous scale. In every case, the socialists have been ushered into power by leftist People like this. In every case. And so it will be if that becomes the case in the United States of America. Moving on to a cold case. A precious young woman, beautiful young woman, 17-year-old, mother of a child. She did not abort her baby. She kept the baby, raised the baby, 
but she was kidnapped, raped, and slaughtered at the ripe old age of 17. Back on September 23, 2010, after attending a party with friends in Covington, Kentucky. Covington, Kentucky, which I remember for it being the place where a monstrous murderer slaughtered a young woman who had been seeing him. Totally different case, but probably, probably. All that's known here is that her remains were discovered. As far as managing to come up with the individual who committed the murder, the slaughter, the destruction of her, that's another matter. One man, Jacob Bumpus, I don't know what age he was, but he said that he dropped her off in Covington that night. Well, she was never seen or heard from again. Whether he had anything to do with it, I don't know. Possible, right? But just a beautiful young woman. It's been all of this time going on 10 years now. Her little girl has had to grow up without her mother. Just monstrous tragedy. And this sort of thing happens Every day in the U.S. of A. And has for decades. What about cause and effect? Well, these things, there is no cause. There's just, you know, some particular motivation. Right? There has to be opportunity and motivation and means. You learn that from the police shows on TV. And, of course, the motivations are this, that, and the other thing. It's never, it never is because there is a monstrous, murderous destroyer who enjoys destroying beautiful, precious, darling girls and young women. Never that. No, there has to be something rational, something that we people who are not monstrous destroyers can understand. Another case, again, cold case. Eight years back, beautiful woman, mixed race, African-American to some extent, Vanessa Malone, known as Honey And she's a honey of a girl, just a beautiful girl, 18 years old. Paige, whom I just referred to, was 17. This girl was 18. And a beautiful, sweet, darling girl. And she was slaughtered in DeKalb County, Georgia. What were the circumstances? It was daylight. It was daytime. She made the mistake of going over to an apartment of people she thought were friends, knocked on their door. They're in Stone Mountain, 
Georgia. And she was ushered in, apparently. She was shot in the back and the chest and stuffed in a closet. Drug across the carpet, stuffed in a closet. A black man, dark black man of 34 years of age, I believe, has been arrested and charged. Charged with second-degree murder. Second degree. We have these wonderful, fanciful, fictitious creations in our legal system. And they get very clever and they use the Marquis of Queensbury's rules and they they slice and dice to come up with all of these non-murder categories of murder. Reduced versions of murder. So that those responsible for having committed these heinous crimes cannot be executed, even in states where there is execution. Well, it was very strange circumstances. The police were sure this was robbery, a robbery gone wrong. Well, these robbers, these masked men carrying guns, they had supposedly kicked in the door, tied up her two friends, a man and a woman, put them in the bathroom, but they did not harm that couple. And yet they saw fit to slaughter this young woman. Very curious. Oh, it was supposedly home invasion, robbery, but they didn't take any drugs. They didn't take any money. They didn't take anything except her cell phone. But the police, brilliant police work, they have held to their story all the time that this was strictly a robbery. (laughs) Really. Before I continue, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is on me. That's due to me. That is my fault. Meanwhile, The body of a young mother, 30-year-old Tiffany Osborne, who was last seen February 17th, you know, just days after Valentine's Day, in Alabama. Her body was discovered, wrapped under a mattress, Lovely woman, and again, mother of three. And she, her body was discovered by a worker cutting grass, mowing lawns, whatever. But, and it was at the end of an unfinished road, routinely used to dump trash there. This woman, she 
is the second woman, the body to have been found in Bessemer in 2020. Two women's bodies have been found in Bessemer, Alabama in 2020. The first one had been stuffed in a manhole found by city workers. Last seen back December of 2018, but discovered in 2020, in February. Meanwhile, another case, this the youngest here mentioned. Again, I mentioned Paige, who's 17, Honey, 18. This woman in Bessemer, who's 30, and then this other woman, they didn't give an age. But this young woman was a teenage girl of 16. Lovely girl, very cute, very sweet looking. Not that looks can tell you everything in that regard, but she does look very sweet and adorable, as did Paige and Honey and so forth. But this girl reminds me very much of a niece of mine, Shayna Rittaler. Perhaps mispronounced, but that's the way it looks to me. Shayna Ridhaler, 16 years of age. And she went online onto a dating site called Badu, I guess it is. And she met some fellow, a predator, a trolling predator. And they chatted for a few weeks. And lo and behold, this destroyer, Michael Gavin Campbell, 17 years of age. And to my way of thinking, he does not look like a he. And it's not to say that he looks weak. He just, uh, but anyway, moving on. He drove from Sturgis, South Dakota to Wyoming. Not a long trip. And he got her, picked her up, then took her back to his home. He's 17 years of age, and he has a house? I don't quite understand the circumstances there, but. There was an argument, and he went and got a gun and murdered her by shooting her once in the head. Now, again, these fanciful definitions with regard to murder, they... (laughs) They pled this thing down to the bare minimum. He was initially charged with second-degree murder. Even though it was premeditated, first-degree murder, he was charged with second-degree murder because, after all, he's 17 years of age. 
But that charge was dismissed. Prosecutors entered into a plea deal which recommends, emphasis on recommends, recommends a sentence of 55 years, but he's 17 years of age. Let's make it five years like they do in the UK. Hmm. So we'll see what it really turns out to be as far as a sentence, but early on in this case, the judge sealed the case's affidavit. because of potential publicity and the case's sensitive nature. We don't want to offend any people's sensibilities. We don't want them to be up in arms about this monstrous murder. No, no, no. We need to just, you know, keep it under wraps. So what is the plea deal? Instead of first-degree murder, instead of second-degree murder, first-degree manslaughter. First-degree manslaughter. Question. Why do we have plea bargains? Why do we plead down cases? Why do prosecutors do that? Really? Of course, it's always made out that it's done specifically to get convictions. You know, there's not enough evidence to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they can get a conviction because they may have difficulty proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that this murderer committed this murder. Here, this girl's body was found in his basement having been shot by his gun. He is the resident of the house. Furthermore, there was photographic evidence of a driver of a Jeep in Moorcroft, Wyoming, that had South Dakota plates. Moorcroft police notified Lawrence County, South Dakota Sheriff's Office that the person of interest may be in their area. It was his vehicle. He was driving it. Back on October 3rd, 2019. But... (laughs) The only rationale, the only reasonable, and I use that word very generously, the only reasonable rationale for pleading down charges, reducing charges, is because of inability to get a conviction. To plea down charges in order to get a swifter conviction is not justifiable. To get an easy conviction, to get a swift, easy conviction is not justifiable. But that's what was done here. 
Great work. Great work, South Dakota. So this precious girl, foolish girl, who wanted to run off with this guy she didn't know from anybody at the ripe old age of 16, wanted to run off with him and have this idyllic, fanciful, romantic shacking up at his house in South Dakota. Incredibly foolish. But naive, gullible, sweet, so forth. Foolish and rebellious in that sense. But what a pity. What a terrible pity. And this guy, he won't be in prison for 55 years. I'll be surprised if he's not out in five. But again, when you plead these things down this way, it just <laughs> it leads directly to just eliminating possibility of of anything remotely like what there should be. There should be swift conviction of murder and execution is what there should be. But apart from that, when you come up with these crazy things, this definition here with regard to this is that for this manslaughter, first-degree manslaughter, that they had to just, I don't even know how to describe it, but just to contort it, that he shot her. Point blank range, in the head, quote, without the design to cause her death, end quote. Without the design to cause her death, just shooting her in the head, point-blank range, that that was not intended to cause her death. Really? But that is an element to first-degree manslaughter. So you have to agree to that complete lie that he did this without intending to cause her death in order to have first-degree manslaughter. With all due respect, it's a plea deal. Okay, so what do you do in terms of appealing? Can you appeal a plea deal? Probably not immediately, but rest assured there will be a way to do that. And they will be able to say, wait a minute, (laughs) this would be a very strange defense, but that this needs to be overturned because it relies upon his having shot her without intending to murder her, when in fact he did intend to murder her. Therefore, you need to throw this out. Meanwhile, all these other things have been taken off the table, and we can't have double jeopardy. So now that he admits, yes, that he murdered her, now release him. Now, maybe that's impossible, but I just... The things that I see from our court system, our judicial system across the nation... I'm not at all sure that that is an impossibility. It's obscene, but it's probably not impossible. Meanwhile, moving on up to second-degree murder. Again, I mentioned 
this George Wesley Hughley V, who slaughtered this beautiful, foolish young woman, Yardley Love. How can you say she's foolish? Foolish for having carried on with this guy for years. This guy who is just a vicious thug of a guy. Reasonably good-looking, athletic, strong, all that, but was vicious to her. And (laughs) he slaughtered her. And in the great state of Virginia, forget about first-degree murder. No, second-degree. Second-degree murder sentenced to 23 years in per, in prison. And yet, are we supposed to believe that this 17-year-old in South Dakota is going to get 55 years for first-degree manslaughter, pled down from second-degree murder? I think not. All right. And here, this wonderful Hughley, his new defense team, is trying to overturn his sentence, so forth, for the 2010 slaughter of this lovely young woman. But, and he was in his 20s, she was in her 20s. Approaching graduation time from University of Virginia, Charlottesville. But, another kid. Lovely 42-year-old Vietnamese woman. I'm not sure I saw anywhere in the reports that she was Vietnamese, but had to be Vietnamese. Her name is, I'm going to mispronounce it badly, Hong Nguyen. Well, her brother, Hua Phong Nguyen slaughtered her, murdered her when she came home from work and put her body in the trunk of her car and drove it off down the road and parked it and then he happened to leave New Orleans. This is in New Orleans, Louisiana. But precious young woman and uh, the family was consisted of she and her mother at this house, and the brother came and went. But he slaughtered his sister, this lovely woman. Well, video captured footage of him walking away from the vehicle early morning, March 13th. And this video was shown to a family member, and they identified him from that. That was surveillance footage, home security video which showed her vehicle being moved from the driveway to where it was found. What I don't understand is there was no mention 
of the video capturing him murdering her nor of putting her body in the trunk. But just terrible. So what should he get? How about second-degree murder, right? What do we have first-degree murder for? <laughs> A second-degree murder. It's just routinely second-degree murder. Not only in the second-degree murder capital of the United States of America, New York State, but across the country. Second degree meaning no possibility of execution. He's the younger brother, 37 years of age. Just monstrous. Meanwhile, another second degree murder case. This one from the second degree murder capital of the United States. Ramapo, New York. Grafton Thomas, no relation, man of color, has been charged in the second degree murder of one man, Joseph Newman, whom he split his head open with a machete, and also six counts of second degree attempted murder. He broke into a rabbi's house in Ramapo on December 28th and he murderously attacked the Hasidic Jewish men, the Hasidim, who were celebrating Hanukkah. He attacked them all with an 18-inch machete. Six men were hospitalized. Newman was left in a coma for 59 days. Before he died. But he was attempting to murder all of them. Because they were Jews. Now, the defense team, the wonderful defense lawyers, they came up with an expert who found Grafton to be incompetent. The prosecutors provided two experts who examined him and found him competent. But in terms of what this man did, I mean, his actions, what he did, it showed he knew exactly what he was doing. This incompetent man was capable of driving a car. When he was stopped, because one of the people noticed the license plate and passed it on to the police. When he was stopped, he was covered in blood and the machete was in the car. In addition to a knife. In addition to that, he is a suspect in a pre-dawn attack and stabbing of a rabbi walking to synagogue on November 20th. But, (laughs) 
Oh, but he's incompetent. He didn't know what he was doing. Second degree murder. How is that not first degree premeditated murder? Home invasion, attempted murder of six men, hospitalizing five in addition to the one who was put in coma and died. But New York State, second degree murder capital of the United States of America. Meanwhile, on Easter weekend, Alto Miles, 42 years young, slaughtered four people in two separate attacks, murdered two women in one, But he is a convicted drug trafficker. His record goes back to the mid-1990s. More than a quarter of a century ago. But he slaughtered these two women. In one case. And in another, slaughtered a woman and a man. According to Ohio's Department of Correction and Rehabilitation, he was released from prison in 2018 and is currently on parole. Of course, he could not legally have a gun because he's a convicted felon and on parole. He was sentenced to two years after being convicted in 2016 of trafficking heroin and cocaine, and he was only sentenced to two years. And that was not his first felony, but only sentenced to two years. (laughs) He was convicted back in 97. But on another occasion, 2005, when he was being held at a justice center, a deputy opened his door and he charged out of his cell and began to attempt to murder the deputy by choking him to death. He did not succeed. He pleaded no contest to an assault charge, not attempted murder, but an assault charge. He didn't hit the deputy. He didn't repeatedly strike the deputy. He attempted to choke him to death. But they only charged him with assault. And he only served six months in prison for that. What a wonderful justice system, legal system we have here in the United States of America. Again, that's Ohio, Cincinnati. You can find this sort of thing everywhere across this country. And another great, great court case. The South Carolina Supreme Court. Supreme Court of South Carolina, the great state of South Carolina, has unanimously overturned the attempted murder conviction of a gang member who shot and critically injured, paralyzed for life, a young woman, Martha Childress, a student at University of South Carolina. She has no movement below the waist. 
(laughs) But they said that felony attempted murder is not a recognized crime in South Carolina. And furthermore, he wasn't attempting to murder her. He was attempting to murder someone else. So throw it all out and release him. So different from God's view concerning such things. So terribly different. If you go back to the Bible, which of course we dare not do, you'll find that the only instance in which murder is not punished by execution is if it was completely, utterly, totally unintentional, accidental, not while you're engaged in trying to shoot somebody else or stab somebody else or blow somebody else up or hit somebody else with your vehicle, but instead, if it was completely accidental without a weapon. But I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. 